Hello, Woodland Hills Church. I'm Greg Boyd, senior pastor of Woodland Hills Church, and I'm not here right now. You may have noticed that. Where am I? None of your business. It's summer, Minnesota. I'm somewhere enjoying myself. That's all I need to know. But it's my honor to introduce to you my good friend, Laurel Bunker. I've known Laurel for, I guess, 15, 16 years, and this is an anointed woman of God who has a character that just radiates the love of Jesus Christ. Laurel is the head of student ministries at Bethel University, and I frequently hear students uh, just raving, not only about her ability to make the Word of God clear and to preach it with, a, with an anointed boldness, but also about her uh, sacrificial love investing in students' lives. Um, so we are just really blessed this weekend to have Laurel Bunker here to share God's Word with us. So would you please give an enthusiastic, warm Woodland Hills welcome to Laurel Bunker. God bless. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Woo! I am so excited, grateful to be here in this house. I am thankful for my friend and my brother, Dr. Greg Boyd. He is probably one of the most brilliant, but one of the most humble men I've ever known. And I praise God for his leadership and how I believe he's transformed the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul by establishing this church. Um, I have been in these walls and been in relationship with Woodland Hills Church for a long time, back when Chuck Fenrick and back when Dennis Luce, who was the youth pastor, were good friends, and we'd bring our churches together and have something called Sunday Praise where our youth would come together. I believe in the vision and the mission of this church. I praise God for what God is doing in each and every one of you. I am grateful that because of you and because of this church, the Twin Cities has never been the same. And so I am grateful to God for, for Greg and Shelley, for Paul Eddy, uh, who, who is so wonderful and who teaches with such passion at Bethel, is teaching young people about the reality of warfare and how to stand. And so I'm grateful as Dean and Campus Pastor to work with them to ensure that a generation of young people understands and knows that God is alive. And that uh, whatever has happened in the past, it doesn't matter because God is real and he is alive. And so I'm grateful. I am grateful to you. Thank you for allowing me to be here and to spend this morning with you. I don't take it lightly. Um, I am just, I'm grateful to God for each and every one of you. And so as we get started this morning, we're going to dive right in. I'm going to preach a message today that I think is central and important in a culture that is struggling to have hope. And the, and the message today is, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? And uh, I see I got a witness. So I got a witness. Amen. Praise God. And so pray with me, and then we are going to dive into the word. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and honor and glory, for you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the self-existent one and the self-revealing one. You are all in all and everything that we need. And we bow our knee unto you, O oh God. We bless you and we thank you that where two and three are gathered in your name, you're here. So we say, come, Lord Jesus, and have your way among us. Let us worship you through the word today, knowing that your word is alive and that you are alive. Jesus, you are the living word. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come unto you except 
that we know you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for this opportunity of preaching this word. I have nothing and am nothing outside of you, but through you and with you I can do all things. So give me boldness, Lord God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and the power that you have given us at the day of Pentecost and is on the inside of every one of us, Lord. Make us bold for you to proclaim truth, Lord God, in a world that is in desperate need of the truth. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Bless Greg as he rests and rejuvenates, Lord God, as you give him the creative passion and ability to continue to preach and teach with authority, Lord God, and give him what he needs to continue to lead this flock with passion and commitment. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to begin with the word of God this morning. It's always the best place to begin. I'm going to read uh, two scriptures this morning as foundational scriptures. The first is Psalm 146, and then we will also read Isaiah 6. They'll be on the sides for you uh, as we read. Psalm 146 from the New Living Translation. Praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they will return to the earth, and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry, The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighted down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and the widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem. He will be your God, O Woodland Hills. He will be our God, Minneapolis and St. Paul. He will be our God throughout all generations. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It is all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Send me. Send me. That call is as real for us today as it was in the reign of King Uzziah in the time of Isaiah the prophet. 
It is as necessary that that be the heart cry of every believer who has experienced Jesus Christ as it was then. We are in a time where the world is waiting for those who are redeemed to say so, to stand up and say, despite the calculated lies of a world that hates the name of Jesus Christ, he is alive. Despite the new atheism and Christopher Hitchens and those people who are in need of Jesus Christ who lie and blaspheme against the Most High God. We are in need of those who will stand up and say, I may not know everything, but this I know, I was blind. And now I see. I was dead in trespasses and sins. I loved my flesh. I spit in the face of a holy God. And yet because he loved me, he wrapped himself in flesh. He walked among sinful people. He opened my blind eyes. He gave me a new life. He gave me blessings I did not deserve. His mercies are new every morning. Lamentations as and great is his faithfulness. Lord, when I haven't been faithful, you are faithful. Let me do something for you, Lord. Here I am. Send me. Send me. Send me to my family who knew who I was. Any of you got family that you're waiting on to see them come to Christ? who remember who you used to be and quickly remind you of who you used to be, particularly at the holidays when they just want to ruin everything? <laughs> how many of you are wanting desperately to find out how to reach colleagues at work, but you're just not sure if you can or if you should? How many of you know that there are things going on next door to you or you've got friends that you know are in pain and you desperately want to say the right thing but you find yourself kind of tripping over your own words? And how are some of you just afraid of the idea of evangelism because you've seen one picture of evangelism? It's standing on a street corner with one a microphone and that's it and you're saying, that's not me. How many of you just don't feel prepared? You're just not sure how to be a witness. Well, today, brothers and sisters, I'm going to talk with you a little bit about what it means to be a witness, because it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be scary, but I'm telling you that it's necessary, because there are evangelists out there for the devil. There are evangelists out there for promiscuity, and there are evangelists out there for hatred, and there are evangelists out there who are bringing young people in churches and people in by the scores, and we have got to stand up and say, God, as long as you live with my dying breath, I will praise you for you are alive forevermore. And we are the ones to do it. We are the ones to do it. You know, when I was a kid growing up in church, long before the days of, can I get a what, what? We used to have something called testimony service. Anybody remember testimony service? Well, testimony service, for those of you who don't remember, it was usually run by the elders or the deacons of the church. And it was a time for people of God to come together before the formal church meeting simply to testify that God is a good God. It was a prelude to the service because when I was raised, you brought Jesus with you to church. You didn't wait for people to get you all excited and foam in the mouth. If you knew Jesus, you brought Jesus. And you brought Jesus and you said, hey, I'm here. I don't know what's going on in your life, but you and I are going to come to this altar and we're going to worship and praise God. And by the time the sermon starts, we're just going to be happy already. <laughs> That's the kind of church that I was raised in. I was raised in that kind of situation. And we got together and, and, and the elders, particularly the elders, would talk about God being good. 
Now, as children, we didn't always understand the need for or the importance of what we experienced. And frankly, we naively interpreted it as old folks rambling on about repeating the same things they said the week before. I want to thank God who's the head of my life and for keeping me. And we'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard that all before. Now, we listened respectfully for fear of mama who was sitting in the front row or in the choir loft. Because we understood the message that she would be sending us if she had to turn around, narrow her gaze, and clear her throat. Which meant if I have to come back there to you, you are not going to like what you get. So we were once blind, but then quickly we were able to see. The truth is, if we as young people had lived through what many of these elders had lived through, segregation, Jim Crow South, redlined neighborhoods, lynchings, and menial jobs that hardly put enough food on the table, sharecropping, cotton picking, or just living a difficult life. Had we known how God, who is rich in mercy and abounding in love, had made a way out of no way, brought comfort to the comfortless, hope to the hopeless, and days when these people ran from dogs and buried their heroes and, and, and lost their children and still had faith to move mountains, we might have appreciated the foot tapping and the hand clapping and the call out of, can I get a witness? And we may have more eagerly replied with the chorus of others, amen, you got a witness, go on ahead. You see, can I get a witness was not just something that they said. These weren't just some old folks who hadn't lived through anything. But I struggled to know what they meant until I got much older. Can I get a witness? What exactly did they mean? Can I get someone to stand in agreement with me, to bear witness to the reality that life has felt hard and unfair, but that God is good anyhow? Can I get a witness, someone to attest to the fact that those who ought to be enforcing the laws are breaking the laws on our backs and our necks, and they are the greatest perpetrators of injustice, but we shall not, no, we shall not be moved. Can I get a witness Someone to serve as evidence or proof to my statement that while our children are going to substandard schools that are flawed and broken and under-resourced, and despite the desire of some to deny our children the constitutional right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that our children are thriving to the glory of God. Can I get a witness? Mm -hmm, you got a witness. Go on ahead, they would say. You see, I learned from these saints of God, these testimony services were not simply a part of maintaining some antiquated religious custom. These were glimpses into the stories of their lives, lives that for many had been fraught with pain and difficulty and marred by injustice. But despite these things, their testimonies, their coming together on those mornings revealed an even greater truth. One that some still want to deny and that others want to ignore. That God is real and that he had not abandoned them and that he will never abandon those who love him. But he was with them in the battle and given them the courage to fight and to stand up. To stand up to name calling and police brutalities and mobs of people and long nights and difficult days. And their crying out and coming together gave them a strength because God met them in the midst of it. 
It is amazing what happens through suffering when we submit to God. Somehow he takes what seems senseless and he turns it around for his glory because he refuses to allow the enemy of our souls to get the glory in anything that happens in this life. No, he alone will get the glory if we trust him. Yes, the word of God, his faithful companionship through the Holy Spirit gave them power and strength not just to live from day to day, but they lived with dignity intact and they kept their eyes focused on what Hebrews 11.10 says, an eternal city whose builder and maker is God. I believe today, my friends, that while we may not use the same language or maintain the same practices as our ancestors did or be in the same place that our nation was in days past and regarding many issues, that the great and grotesque reality of evil still lurks. It still devours lives all over the world at a pace that is breathtaking and sometimes feels paralyzing to me. Young and old are searching for significance, for hope, for peace at a time when so much of life seems woefully uncertain. Yes, there's power in witness, and there's power in agreement, and there's power in attesting to the truth. I believe if those elders, if your elders, if my elders were alive today, they would not only attest to their trials and be concerned with their pains, but they would cry out for a witness to the realities of the things that we are experiencing today. Child prostitution, pornography, forced labor, killings of innocent people, pandemics, malnutrition and starvation, abuse of police and corrupt military regimes, genocide and forced migration and child soldiers, ethnic cleansing, racial profiling, homelessness, excessive greed, adultery, murder, strife. Today is the body of Christ Scores of suffering, hurting souls, those who are blind by their own life or ambitions here and across the globe are appealing to us, those of us who say that we know the living one, to bear witness to the fact that injustice still exists and that evil is creeping like moss in dark and dank corners of the world, seemingly unstoppable. From the corners of the earth, cries can be heard not only from the poor, or the widow, or the orphan, but from the rich man who's found no joy in his riches, the wife whose husband does not come home at night, the teenager who is struggling with depression and cutting, the lonely senior that just wants to be heard and understood. They cry out with words or blank faces, eyes bloodshot with tears, distended stomachs and distended checkbooks alike. I am in need of hope and rescue. Will you come see about me? Will you testify to me? Will you remind me of why you have hope in a world that seems hopeless? Can you tell me about this Jesus that you say you profess? Can you show me, can you bear witness that he is yet alive when my life seems dead and ebbing away? The good news in all of this is that Christ is still bright and shining. And we, the church of the living God, have an opportunity to proclaim him as such. That he is alive, that the hope of the world is still the hope of the world. And that even though he can do all things and he doesn't really need our help, he's chosen you and I to be his hands and his feet, to be witnesses in the world that evil shall not prevail.
So what does it mean then? I've given you a list of things that seem overwhelming. And even if I didn't give you that list, I could go around this room and you could tell me about things that you're currently experiencing that may be keeping you from witnessing. Yes, even the devil himself has told some of you, I'm not ready yet. I I don't have anything to give. I don't have a testimony yet to do. Or my life seems wrecked. Or my home is not where it should be. God is in the midst of us. And even if your life seems imperfect, the perfect one is in the midst of it. And you have a testimony to tell that nobody else can tell. A soul to save with your name on it. Because you have lived through things that nobody else has lived through. You don't have to have experienced something that goes on and on for pages in order for it to have significance. Your life that you are alive has significance that some of you should have been aborted has significance, that some of you who felt depressed has significance because if the enemy was real, you'd been dead by now. But you are alive and he has saved your life. Some of you were in gangs and some of you were in prostitution and some of you were just full of yourselves. But God, who is rich in mercy, who sees people like me, who were blind who thought having a two-parent family and going to a private school and going to church every day meant that they were saved. Do you know good girls miss heaven? Do you know that good people miss heaven and miss God? Do you know that people who say, Lord, Lord, are not going to make it in? Do you know that we ought to straighten up at the thought that a holy God sees us? My God, I'm just a girl who said yes to God. That's all I am. I don't care about titles. I don't care about anything else. I just want to be a witness who is faithful. I just want to be faithful to the end. I just want to fall on the face before God and hear, well done, you did it, you made it through. Don't think that being in this kind of position means we don't suffer. When we're in the midst of suffering, it seems as though we'll never get through. But have any of you been brought through by God and you turn and you look back at where you've been and you say, my God, whose life is that? Whose life was that? And to see that he's brought you out. And guess what? He's still bringing us out. For Philippians 1, 6 says that he who began a good work in us, he's going to be faithful to complete it. He's doing something in us right now. So for those of you who are struggling, hang on. Hold on. Stand firm. Get in this word. Proclaim it. Get yourself around people who remind you that weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. I'm a living testimony. I'm a living witness. I'm a living witness. I'm a living witness. I know what it is to be lost and found. And that's all I got for you is knowing what it is to be lost and found, my brothers and sisters. That's all I got. My education's not going to get you into heaven. My stuff at Bethel isn't going to get you into heaven. But my joy of the Lord, which is my strength, can stir somebody up to a holy fire to say, hang in there. Your life means something. All that you have suffered is not for no reason. You matter to God and to the kingdom. So how do we begin this idea of being a witness? Well, first we've got to understand biblically what being a witness is. So let me give you some points. Amen? Are you with me? All right, amen. To be a witness, let's talk about this. First point, to be a witness is one who can assert what they have seen or heard. If you study the word of God, particularly as you look at the Old Testament, the understanding of the word of witness is largely a legal one. 
The word of God tells us that based on the witness of two or three people shall everything be established. We also read in scripture that based on the testimony of two or three people, according to the law of Moses, somebody could lose their life. You see, back then, in Old Testament days, even in the days that my parents were growing up, people's word meant something. We've lost that. We've lost the art of a handshake and someone telling you that they were going to make good on something actually meant that they were going to follow through. And so when they said that they wanted two or three witnesses, what somebody meant was extraordinarily powerful. And my friends, today it still is, for we see it in the legal courts. We see that witnesses are extraordinarily powerful and effective. The Word of God not only talks about the importance of bearing witness, but it also talks about the danger of bearing false witness. And I'm afraid in this world we become very good at bearing false witness. Being purveyors of lies and slandering people has become an art form. And so we have got to be able to be those who attest and to assert what has been seen and heard. Number two, to repeat and therefore to testify or admonish. In the New Testament, when we look at the apostles, we see this very clearly in their lives. Read the book of Acts, read the the books that John wrote, and oftentimes you will see that they start by, we are writing that which we have seen and heard with our our own eyes, what we have heard with our own ears, Jesus who is the Christ. The apostles testified, and they didn't simply write some story. They said, we've been with him, we've touched him, we sat with him, we fished with him. We saw miracles with him. We're telling you we have seen the Christ. And we testify to you. We have been entrusted to tell you, to repeat, and therefore to testify or admonish you to believe what we are telling you. Number three, to witness is to set forth the message received from God. Now, we know that when we read the account of Saul being changed to Paul on the Damascus Road, after he had been blinded and then was sent to see Ananias, and his eyes then were, the scales were removed from his eyes, it says that he received a testimony and that he didn't go to any of the apostles to receive confirmation. He had had an experience with God, and what God had called him to do, he was going to do, and the life that he lived did not matter to him any longer. We see when we read Paul, he said, if anyone had a reason to boast, it's me, circumcised on the eighth day, born of the tribe of Benjamin. I had all of those things, but none of that matters. That's who we need to be. Born in this family, with this family name, with this pedigree, with this ethnic background. Hogwash. I am born again of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where it is the power of salvation for them that believe. And I have been called by God to tell you that though you be dead, he is alive forevermore. Our pedigrees don't mean anything. And unfortunately, we in this country have been really good at keeping pedigrees and keeping ourselves divided in the church. That's what I love about Woodland Hills, that every tribe and every tongue and every nation is in this church. I love that. And I love that Greg Boyd refuses to allow the devil and divisiveness and all kinds of stuff to keep this church from being a representation of what Revelation 7 says, that in the end of time, all nations will worship God together at the throne. So you are practicing the end time for each one of us. So we set forth the message received by God. My friends, set forth the message received by God. What is the message that that was given to you that causes you to remember? How many of you have ever shared your faith with somebody, testified or ministered to somebody? How many of you have never done it? 
How many of you don't want to do it? For how many of you is a kind of an intimidating idea to share your faith? Be honest. How many of you is kind of like, um, not so much? I mean, I understand that. I was for a time in churches where we had evangelism teams. That was the team that we'd say, okay, well, we'll make the coffee, and when you get back with your list of saved souls, and we'll see you then, and we'll pour the coffee and hear all about it. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is not relegated to some other group of individuals. It's us. We are called to assert what we have seen and heard, to repeat and testify and admonish, to set forth the message that we've received from God. And finally, to be a witness is to live faithfully to that which has been revealed even unto death. The Greek word here is martus, from where we get the word martyr. Yes, we know when we read the biblical accounts that all of the apostles, with the exception of John, were martyred. If we read Hebrews chapter 11, we can see those witnesses that have gone on before us. But can I tell you today, brothers and sisters, is not simply something that was left for a long time ago. You see, today there are men and women of God all over this world, men, women, and children who are martyred for the faith. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you dare read it. Read Richard Rumbrandt's book, Tortured for Christ. Read The Heavenly Man by Brother Yoon. You see, there are people today in persecuted churches all over the world who suffer, and they wonder if we even know what they suffer. It is amazing to me that when I get uh, updates on uh, what's happening around the world, that I read that when brothers and sisters are suffering, they don't ask us to pray that they be delivered. They ask for the strength to endure, to be faithful witnesses to God. Over and over and over, each week I get prayer lists of people to pray for. The underground church in China, people who are in guerrilla territory in Colombia, in the mountains people who are in Pakistan and Afghanistan, people who feel called who, to go to the Taliban and minister, people who are not tethered to this earth. And it does not mean that they don't want to have long lives. It does not mean that they don't want to live long. But they realize, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die, it's gain. That there's a courage that God gives us through the Holy Spirit, whether we're just called to be uncomfortable or we're asked to give it all. I don't know what God is asking us for except to be faithful. And I can tell you that we ought to celebrate that we, as in Hebrews 12, do stand in a great cloud of witnesses that continues to be added to. They give their lives willingly to say, I give it all. I know what it was to live once for this earth, and I don't live for this earth any longer. Now, I want to live a long life too, but you know what? More than living a long life, I want to be found faithful. I want to know what Philip knew. I want to know what Stephen knew when they were preparing to stone him. And he said, look, I see the Christ. And as they lifted those stones to hurl them upon his head and on his body, he said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Doesn't that put things in perspective when I'm worried about a traffic jam? I'm worried that my latte isn't hot. I'm kept 15 more minutes in church. Huh? Really? You think about the things that we suffer on a daily basis. 
And then you think about those who walk with their heads held high, knowing that they are surrounded by artillery and people who could take their lives in a moment, but they don't flinch because they've been with God. I don't know about you, but I want to be with God every day of my life. I want to know that I've been with God, that I am with God, that I'm walking with God. I'm not going to lie to you and say I'm never afraid. I'm not going to tell you that I'm never in situations that are scary to me. But the word of God is what I have to stand on. And the word of God tells me that he has not given me that spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I would rather be uncomfortable and faithful than simplistic and religious and never please my God. So you pray for me in that, that I will continue to be bold because he's growing me up as he's growing you up. A few more points I want to make. Baptist teacher and lover of God, Ernest Ressinger, often these essential points regarding being a witness. Number one, you must be a witness before you can witness. A witness is born when one is born again. That is when he or she experiences the power of God in their own personal death, burial, and resurrection. In this sense, Christian witnessing is not optional and it is not mandatory. Get this. It is, as he says, inevitable. That means if you have truly experienced the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ in your own life, you can't help but tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You can't help it. Introvert or not, introverts, raise your hand. Not an excuse. Extroverts, raise your hand. We don't want to scare people. Right? Either way, introverted or extroverted, God gives us the ability to do what they wanted to do and needed to do. We recognize that, that in this sense, it's not optional and it's not mandatory, it's essential. Brothers and sisters, may we pray that our testimony, that God on the inside of us, be so contagious that we can't help it. It's inevitable. Somebody's going to get saved through us. You're going to have to build onto this church. You're going to have to push out the walls because because of you, people are going to fill this place. We're going to see people delivered from demons right here. We're going to see drug addicted delivered right here. We're going to see marriages restored right there. We're going to see kids walk in who left God right there. We're going to see lives changed because of you. We can do that. I'm not blowing smoke. I'm not just waving something at you. It's true. And some of you are saying, okay, that's great. You all go do that and I'll be here when you get back. I get it. But what if you just prayed, God, let it be so. Like Mary, when the angel said that you're going to bring forth a son, and she didn't say, well, I'm scared. Everybody's going to talk about me. Lord, how can this be? But then after he explained, be it unto me as you have said. Can that be us, Lord? You said it's inevitable. Be it unto me as you have said. Lord, you're asking me to bring people to Christ. Be it unto me as you have said. Lord, My family talks about me like a dog, but I'm going to keep my cool and I'm going to share Christ and love them. Be it unto me as you have said. Let me be a witness. We are called upon to add the dimension of actually witnessing to our being witnesses. And this too should be inevitable. Acts 4.20 says, we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Finally, A verbal witness has to be there because we need God to be able to help us articulate what is necessary. The Spirit makes us whole. The Spirit empowers us to witness. 
Further, it is only by the Spirit that the goal of the witness is achieved. The Word of God tells us clearly in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Friends, if you don't know the Holy Spirit, pray and ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit. And pray and ask God to give you a boldness that is not of you. Because if witnessing were easy and it was of you, there's no need for God. I'm in a time in my life where I want more than what I can do for myself. I want to see miracles and signs and wonders. I don't want to just read about them here. I want to see them unfold in front of me. And that's what I see around the world in places that are full of darkness and brokenness. Miracles happen every day. We need miracles in this country. We need revival in this country. We need revival in these streets. We need revival in the church. We need to be able to stand full and sure. The final points, and then I'm going to have us close. There are three things that are needed by the apostles and for us to carry out our mission to the world to be witnesses. The first is assurance that he is alive. How many of you are sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive? How many of you are not sure? Just not sure. Amen, that he's alive. That's okay, because you know what the great news is? One of the greatest theologians in the United States of America preaches right here from this pulpit. Dr. Gregory Boyd is one of the most brilliant men I've ever known. And he would say, well, I don't know about that. Okay, Greg, whatever you say. Paul is here. You've got brothers and sisters next to you. And praise God, if you don't know he's alive, you're not the first one who's ever felt that. But know that you don't have to stand in that unbelief. I have wondered sometimes, too, when it seems like darkness is everywhere. God, are you alive? Are you listening? Read the Psalms. There were people, read Lamentations. There are people who are saying, God, why? Why must we see suffering everywhere? Aren't you going to do anything? Are you really alive? The scriptures are full of people, not just who gave God glory, it's full of people who questioned. It's okay to question as long as you don't sit in that question and you seek the answer. Assurance that he is alive. Are you sure that he is alive? Number two, instruction. Have you sat at his feet for instruction? Brothers and sisters, you can go to seminary, you can go to Bible school, that is great. But nothing beats sitting in the presence of Almighty God. We take time off to go fishing, we take time off to go hunting. We take time off to go on vacation, we take time off to make sure that we've got the best deals for shopping. When's the last time you took a day off to say, excuse me, I need to lay in the presence of God? I'm going to be like Jacob. I'm going to hold out, Lord God, till you bless me, till you reveal yourself to me in a way that changes my situation. I don't know about you, but we need and I need that instruction. Have you sat at his feet for instruction? Finally, empowerment. Have you been empowered from above? Have you been empowered to do something that you yourself cannot do, but because you submit your life to him, he can do it in you? My friends, we need assurance that he's alive. We need instruction from sitting at his feet. And we need empowerment from above. Because the world is waiting. Because you have been asked by God to take the truth of who he is and to deliver it to a world that is in need. Now stand with me as we pray together. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come forward. Because there may be some of you, as I've heard in other services that needed this message, that you know, God, whether it's about evangelism or not, I just need to be living more wholeheartedly for you, and I'm not. 
There's some things that are consuming me, God, some things that are keeping me from really living for you. There's just some stuff, Lord, I need to shake off so I can live for you. God, I want to be bold. Or God, I know that unforgiveness of that person that hurt me is keeping me from really being a witness. God, I need to just surrender to you. And if you need to surrender to God, come and lay here before the altar, but please don't leave the same way and don't say that you haven't been told. Have you not heard that God is the everlasting God? Come and let me pray with you, but please don't let the doubts and the pain and the unbelief or the frustrations in your life keep you stagnant. Don't let it keep you in the chair or on the sideline of this life waiting it out until Christ returns. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these women and men of God, these believers, these people, Lord God, you know every story. You know every word. You know everything that everyone has been through. And Father, I pray that I have not spoken in a way, Lord God, that would make it seem as that all is easy. But Lord God, your word does tell us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Your word says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Father, I pray rest for these souls, but I also pray, Lord God, that these people will be lit on fire to see that they are more than who they believe that they are, that they are not their pedigree, that they are not their life, that they are not their race, that they're not even just members of Woodland Hills, but they are women and men of God purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. We sang it, oh, the power of the cross. Lord, there's power. We stand forgiven at that cross, but Lord, there are other people who need to know that they too can be forgiven at that same cross. Lord God, if we have the good news, if it is that good to us, Lord God, let it be inevitable that we will share it with others. Strengthen now these women and men of God, every family, Lord God, and every person, every individual. And as they leave this place, I pray, Lord God, that they would look out on the horizon, that they would step out of these doors and say, somehow I see things differently. Here I am, Lord, send me. Show me the person that needs encouragement. Show me the person that needs prayer. Show me the person that's angry that I can help de-escalate and tell them that I used to be angry too. Lord, show me care for that prostitute, Lord God, who is tired of it and has nowhere to go. Lord, open my home, open my heart, open my eyes. And let us be a people that can change the world because with 12, you changed the world. And because of the testimony in the life of Jesus, You've changed our lives. And now, Lord God, you who can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or imagine, to you be glory in our lives, in the church, in the world, both now and forevermore. And all who are in agreement say, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.